Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Today's scripture is John 1, 11, 12. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the message this morning. Let's pray. Father, the angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And yet when we look around us, we don't see peace on earth. We don't see people showing goodwill toward others around the world. And Lord, we're mindful of what's going on in the very center of the world, in Israel, in Gaza. And Lord, our hearts break for those who are suffering, for those who have suffered great loss. And Lord, we continue to pray for that situation to be resolved. We continue to pray for you to use this situation to have people realize they need to cry out to you and they need to look to Jesus for their salvation and their healing and eternal life. Lord, we're mindful that even within our own community, perhaps in our own homes, our own hearts, there is no peace. And Lord, we pray that you would bring peace to our homes, peace to our hearts, as we fill ourselves with Jesus this season, that we would see Christ-like attitude toward one another. Lord, as we look into your word today, we understand that we need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me as I teach, for the Holy Spirit to fill each of us as we listen. The Holy Spirit will fill each of us that we might be empowered to live out your word. We ask now that you'd speak to us. We pray all these things through Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Some years ago, a buddy of mine asked me to go with him shopping to help find a present for his wife for Christmas. So there we were, two days before Christmas, at the Windward Mall with hundreds of others, other desperate men looking for that perfect present for that perfect woman. And I'm single, but I had this sneaky suspicion that us being in the tool department of Sears wasn't the best place to find a present for his wife. So with my prodding, we went up the escalator, crowded with other people, and made it up to the women's department, and we got there. But when my friend held up some lingerie and asked me what I thought his wife would look like in this, I knew it was time to leave. <laughs> and so I headed back to the safety of the tool department alone. <laughs> At this time of year, people are all preparing for Advent one way or another. Some of you, a very few of you, perhaps prepare by all year looking for that perfect present for someone and you get it and you store it away and, and you just can't wait till Christmas to wrap it and get it out. More of us, Kind of wait till the last minute, last week, maybe last few days, maybe even Christmas Eve, I hope not, to buy that present. And still others, perhaps the majority of people in the world, approach Advent by ignoring it, by not acknowledging it. And all those ways are ways that I think 
are ways that God seems to have approached Advent. In some ways, he seems well prepared. It says before the foundation of the world, he had all this planned, so he planned way ahead. And then, and then you come to the event, and we read the story, and what do you mean there's no room in the end? And it just seems like this was not planned very well. And then we have thousands of years where it seems like God said nothing about Advent and the coming of Jesus. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, as we mentioned, and Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which just means coming or arrival. And the four Sundays of Advent are a countdown until Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, God the Father literally had all the time in the world to prepare for Christmas. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, that God had this all planned out before he made anything. Look with me at 1 Peter 1.20. It says, For he, Jesus Christ, was foreknown. He was known ahead of time before the foundation of the world. Before anything was created, Jesus was known. But has appeared when? In these last times for the sake of you. And we saw that these last times, these end times, or the period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming, and so God had this plan before he created anything. And the fact that Advent was planned long before created everything, before man even existed, before sin even entered the world, indicates that this plan is no knee-jerk reaction. It's no Hail Mary when God didn't know what else to do. It's not some hastily assembled plan based on some unexpected crisis. No, this plan was a plan that God had from all eternity past. If you take out your notes at this time, if you're watching online, they're available on our website. If you're in the room, they're available by the doors. First thing I want to look at about this plan is this is the best plan. It's the best plan. Why this way? Why God, the second person of the triune God becoming a baby, becoming a baby so that he could grow up to be a man who would be sacrificed. Why? Why the creator of an inferior creation coming and becoming a man and be thought of as actually being inferior to the inferior creation that he created, and so they reject him and murder him. Why? Well, the one simple and right answer is that this is the best plan. It's the best plan. But pastor, there had to be another way. Actually, just the opposite is true. There was no other way. You see, not only was this the best plan, but the second thing to note, number two, is that this is the only plan. This is the only plan. The Godhead didn't get together in eternity past and debate among themselves which plan to pick. They didn't draw straws. They didn't throw the dice. They didn't do junk in a poe to determine who would go and what they would do. One of the most amazing things about the fact that God knows everything, that he's omniscient, 
One of the most amazing, and I would say incomprehensible things, is that God not only knows everything that has already happened, He not only knows everything that's happening right now, even your thoughts, and He knows whether you're listening or not, or thinking about lunch or something else. He knows everything about the future, but not only that, God not only knows everything that will happen, He knows everything that could have happened, but didn't. God not only knows what will happen if you marry, let's say, Bob and the children you'll have, He also knows what would have happened if you'd said yes to Bill (laughs) and had those children instead, and those children had children. It is absolutely mind-boggling to think about the fact that God knows not only the actual, He actually knows the potential, what could have happened if you made a different decision. And that is why it is the height of foolishness to think that your plan is better than God's plan. There are a number of scriptures that indicate what I'm telling you is true, but let me just give you one as an example from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. And the context, by the way, is King Saul is the king of Israel, the first king. He has disobeyed God. He's being rejected as king. God is raising up David to be king, but Saul doesn't like that so much. So he's trying to kill David so David can't take his place. Verse 9, now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, the ephod was kind of an apron thing that the priests wore, and it had some stones on it. And as far as we understand, it also contained the Urim and Thummim, which were two stones that would indicate what the will of God was. And maybe there was a little pouch there, and we don't know. Some people think the stones would glow, you know, or other people said it was a yes stone and a no stone, and you mixed them in the pocket, and you pulled one out, and they're like, oh, God says yes. Um, we don't know how it worked, but we know it worked. So David says, get the priest. I got some things I need to ask God. Bring the ephod. Let's find out what God has to say. So let's pick it up now in verse 10. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. And then he asks a question about the future. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as thy servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So he goes, here's what's going to happen. He's going to come down. And then he says, then David said, will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So God tells him the future. And in response to that, verse 13, then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah. They go, we're out of here. And they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up his pursuit. Saul didn't attack the city. He didn't kill David. That was a potential that God knew that if David stayed there, that's what would happen. But David, like you, has a free will and can make some decisions. And David says, whoa, I don't want that. It's like your decision for eternity. God gives you free will. Maybe you couldn't choose what color eyes you have or the color of your hair or where you were born or your parents, but you get to choose your eternal destiny 
and your eternal destiny is dependent on your free will, and you get to choose. And God says, if you choose this, this is what's going to happen. Potentially, you will suffer forever in the lake of fire. But you don't have to experience that potential. You can have the actual of being in heaven, perfected with God. You have a choice. God knows everything, not just the actual, but the potential of every decision you and I make. And this clearly demonstrates that God knowing something doesn't make it happen. Some people teach, well, if God knows it, it has to happen. No, God knows it because it's going to happen or it could happen. But his knowledge of it doesn't make it happen. And so back to Advent. The Godhead was able to consider every conceivable potential possibility. Every one of them. Every possibility when it comes to forgiving you for your sins of redeeming mankind. He looked at every variation, every challenge, every response, every outcome, and the God had picked what we call Christmas as the plan. Not only because it is the best plan, but because it is the only plan. Remember what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Apostle Peter is preaching, says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit-filled sermon. And he says in verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This is the only plan. Throughout human history, mankind has tried to come up with other plans. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, had a plan didn't work. The Pharisees of Jesus' day had a plan, had all these rules and regulations to salvation. That's the plan. They failed. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, had a plan for salvation. It failed. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, had a plan for salvation. It failed. There are no other plans. There are infinite number of wrong plans, but only one right one. Just like with mathematics, 2 plus 2 equals 4. There's only one right answer. There are myriads of wrong answers. The reason God chose this plan is because this is the only plan. But it's our human nature to want another plan, to want another way. Jesus, in his humanity, asked God the Father, couldn't there be another plan? In Luke chapter 22, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's headed for the cross. That's the plan. But he wants to know if there's another plan, another option. Verse 41 of Luke 22. And Jesus withdrew from them, his disciples, about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, give me another plan. Remove the cup from me, referring to his crucifixion. But he says, yet not my will, not my plan, but yours be done. And the Father answered his prayer. 
He said, no. (laughs) There's no other plan. When you pray and God says, no, don't tell people God didn't answer your prayer. Say, God answered no. He answered my prayer. (laughs) He has a better plan. Christmas is the only pathway to salvation. It's the only one. God becoming a baby, but not just a baby, a baby who will grow up to be a man who will sacrifice his life for your sins and for mine, and there's no other plan. And to be honest with you, this is the strangest of plans. And that's our third point here, our third lesson. This is the strangest plan. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It tells us this strange plan. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The plan is for the Holy One to become filth, and for the filthy one to become holy. For God to become like you, so you can become like Him. That's the strangest of plans. The words of my favorite hymn put it well. It's hard for me to sing it without choking up, but amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's amazing love. That my God would die for me. That your God would die for you. God the creator, the perfect one, dying for his creation, the sinful and rebellious one. This is really one strange plan. And because it's so strange that the Jewish nation of Jesus' day rejected the plan. They expected some exalted warrior coming in. And and they have a carpenter and a donkey. Humble, not very triumphant. So unlike the picture that they had created in their minds of the way that they would be saved and the Messiah would come. So they rejected God's plan. Notice what it says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 30. Luke 7, 30. It says, but the Pharisees and scribes rejected God's plan for them. That's free will. God has a plan, but you have to decide if you're going to accept it or reject it. And they rejected God's plan. Listen, just because God's plan seems strange, don't reject it. A lot of things God does seem strange. But just because something's odd, strange, or weird doesn't mean it's not of God. I mean, the first woman was created out of the rib of a man. Well, I find that odd. And then there's a story of Balaam's donkey. And he's riding his donkey, and his donkey crushes his leg against the wall, and he whips his donkey, and the donkey starts talking and goes, well, I saw the angel of death, and I was trying to protect you. And, and, and instead of going... My donkey's talking. He scolds his donkey even more. 
that is really weird. It's odd. It's strange. And there's the story of Jonah, the prophet, who doesn't want to preach salvation to the unbelieving city of Nineveh. So he runs away, and he gets swallowed by a great fish, and he has three days of prayer and fasting in the belly of this fish. And then he gets vomited onto the land. And from what I understand, if you're in a fish or a whale or whatever it was for three days, your skin kind of shrivels up, and you turn white, and you stinketh. Especially when you're mixed with fish vomit and you go into the city and you preach to people you can't stand that they have to repent and there's a revival. That's odd. That's weird. That's strange. And the prophet Isaiah, did you know he was told by God to walk around for three years without his sandals and butt naked? That's, it's, that's the King James. It says that, and that was a symbol to the people what was going to happen to them, that they were going to be invaded by a foreign army and lose everything if they didn't repent. And couldn't he just had a pulpit and a loincloth? That's odd, that's strange, that's weird. And the God of the universe becomes a fetus in the belly of a virgin woman. Well, that's odd. That's strange. That's weird. So he could die for you and for me. It's the strangest of plans, but it's the only plan, and it's the best plan. And God has the best plans in mind for you. Sometimes they might seem strange, and you're going to have to decide. Are you going to reject God's best for your life or accept it? Which leads us to number four there on your outline, the last thing I want to mention this morning. I encourage you to embrace the plan. To embrace the plan. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we tell, we're told what happens if you embrace the plan. John 1.11 says, He, speaking of Jesus, came to His own, nation of Israel, and those who were his own did not receive him. They rejected the plan. But as many as received him, as many as embraced the plan, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Everyone in this room, everybody watching online or listening to podcasts, is either a rejecter or a receiver of the plan. And you get to choose. And I recommend that you... Embrace God's plan because it is the best plan. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads but still listen. And if you've never embraced the plan, to give you an opportunity to do that as we bow in prayer. Your heads bowed. The plan is for Jesus to die for your sins, to raise from the dead, and to offer you salvation, and you have to decide what you're going to do with that. Have you embraced it? One way to embrace it is to say something like this in prayer, and you can do it right here quietly in your heart, saying, Lord Jesus, I embrace the plan. I believe you died for me and rose from the grave and conquered death. I want you to live in me, and I want to live for you. Thank you for the gift you give to me of forgiveness and salvation. 
Lord, as we continue to pray, we as Christians want to continue to follow the plan, to share the plan, to live the plan, so others will come to know the plan that you have come to save them. Lord, bless us this Advent season as we reflect on the plan that is the best plan, the only plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.